0: Matthew chapter 2 we're going to continue in our study the first two chapters of the book as we evaluate our priorities during this holiday season and Christmas is right upon us we're going to jump quickly to the birth uh, this morning a reminder as we jump into this study that the purpose behind Matthew's writing uh, who's Matthew's audience who's he writing to The Jews, right? The Jews that are trying to decide whether or not they're going to follow Jesus. And so Matthew is giving convincing evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the one prophesied of in the Old Testament scriptures. And when we read this Christmas story, most notably in Luke chapter 2, I know it's a special time in our Christmas Eve service when a family will read that passage. Um, You know, there are times where we... Uh, celebrate in Christmas events and activities and we hear this Christmas story and if we're not careful we can quickly become uh, allow this story to become something mundane or nostalgic we let it completely lose its true significance in our lives sometimes we hear the Christmas story read in churches it's depicted in books It's even displayed on our television screens throughout the Christmas season. But do we really get the true meaning behind the passage that we read? Does the text draw us in and impact our lives? Now that Christmas is here, I want to take a few moments and evaluate the situation surrounding the birth of Jesus. Why? Because something incredible is taking place, and we can't afford to miss out on these implications for our lives today. So today I want to just take a quick look at a few verses and draw some implications, and then we can go home. And I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole a little bit this week, but hopefully I can make some sense of this today. So let's piece together this birth narrative. Y'all refresh my memory because I lose focus quickly, okay? And the characters within the birth narrative are are who? We've got Mary and Joseph. We've discussed their... Um, relationship we'll just put it at that that interesting dynamic within their relationship so we got mary and joseph in this birth narrative who else we've got wise men how many of those guys are there y'all did a good answer good answer wise men who else shepherds we've got herod in there who else Angels, innkeepers, there's the baby, yeah, that sweet little baby Jesus. All of these characters come together to make up this Christmas story. And then we have cities. What cities are involved in this story? Bethlehem, Jerusalem. Got Nazareth, and then there's one more. Egypt. Egypt. It's interesting how all these pieces kind of move. And then when we put them together, they tell us an incredible story. And then there's one thing that we didn't call out. There's one thing significant that we just sang about, and what was that? The star. The star. The star that played a significant role in this whole process. What does all this mean? What is it trying to tell us? Where did the star come from? Or where did it shine? Today I want to look at Matthew 2, just a couple of verses in Matthew 2. And in this brief passage, we're going to find a trail that if we follow it, that will lead to insights that, we can, that will possibly change our life forever. So look, Matthew 2, we're just going to read verses 1 and 2 together. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to... Alright, so let's, let's make sure we're understanding what's taking place here. So we've got, there's a baby born, his name is? And where is he born, what city? Bethlehem and who is the king Herod and who comes to visit according to Matthew chapter 2 who comes to visit Jesus wise men where did they come from and where did they go Jerusalem and Jesus is in Bethlehem interesting And they go to Jerusalem, and they ask the king, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And then they provide explanation. For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to us. Father, that we would just clear our minds of any preconceived notions or ideas of what this story is trying to tell us, and then we would look at your word father your spirit would move give us your fresh word this morning the wisdom that we need so desperately the knowledge that we can take and use in our lives to make an impact on others father fill us with your story so we can share it in your son's name we pray amen here we are introduced to herod and herod is known as the king of the jews That was his title. And so as the king of the Jews, these wise men, notably, go to Herod. And they come from where? They come from the east. And they go to the... If you're in the east and you're traveling, okay, they're going west, right? From the east to the west and they're going to go find the king of the Jews. So obviously they're going to go to the king of the Jews and ask him where the baby is born. Makes sense? These wise men coming from the east. Anyone want to speculate where they're from? The Orient? The Orient. The Babylon. Babylon, Persia. That's what the what? Preston the what says? Oh, well, we have to trust the song. The song is biblical. How many, how many wise men were there? Why do we think there are three? Because there are three gifts, right? But nowhere does Scripture tell us how many. We can even make up names for them, which we have. And we put them in our front yards, and we let everyone know that there's three guys that come to visit the baby Jesus. And we know none of that is true. We don't have a clue how many they were. And we know they didn't visit Jesus when he was a baby. That didn't happen. He was older than a baby. Is that a good answer? We can speculate all day on their occupation or their number. But all we know from the text is they came from the east. And that they were compelled to travel from a distance to Jerusalem. Now, we can speculate all day, and I'm going to kind of draw some conclusions here in just a minute on the distance they could have traveled. But we're talking here anywhere based on where they live. These wise men could have traveled anywhere from 500 to 900 miles to visit Jesus. That's like us traveling from Little Rock to Louisville or Little Rock to Toronto to visit baby so what would compel these men to pick up and move and see a baby the star the star is what prompted them to move we know from their travel the the fact that they were able to travel long distances that they were prominent they were wealthy they were well-known men they were smart men that were able to travel these distances. But what would cause them to travel so far? The star. So let's go back to the Old Testament and let's connect the dots with this star. If we look back, and y'all are studying on Sunday morning Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's something significant that takes place in the book of Numbers that is incredible and it points straight to Jesus. And I think we miss it very quickly. In Numbers 22, we have an interaction. As the people, as the nation of Israel begin to conquer the land, the promised land, there's a king that gets upset, and he doesn't want Israel to beat them. I don't want to be defeated by the nation of Israel, so I'm going to go, and I'm going to take care of this myself. So this king goes to a, a secular prophet and asks the secular prophet to go and curse Israel so they cannot defeat this country. In Numbers 22, we find this interaction between Balaam and Balak. You remember Balaam? Balaam has a, an animal, right? We know the story of Balaam and the animal. Yeah. Balaam and Balak are found in Numbers, toward the later portions of the book of Numbers, Numbers 22. Here they're having a lengthy interaction, and Balak is trying to convince Balaam to curse Israel, and Balaam is going to God and asking God, and God's telling him, no, you cannot curse the nation. Balak approaches him over and over and tries to convince him to go with him and requests that he curses them. And then Balaam finally agrees to go with Balak, and he says, I'll go with you, but I will only say what God tells me to say. And so he travels with Balak, Balaam and his donkey. And on the journey, what happens? Y'all know it? The donkey doesn't follow orders, right? Stops, refuses to move. And Balaam just beats the tar out of the donkey. And then what happens? The donkey speaks. speaks. says, what are you doing? If you knew what was standing in front of us, you would not be beating me right now because the angel of the Lord is standing here ready to strike us down if we move any further. The donkey puts Balaam in his place and tells him the truth from the angel of the Lord. Then we're told (coughs) that Balaam prophesies about Israel. And instead of cursing Israel, four different occasions, four different oracles, Balaam prophesies blessing upon the nation of Israel. And in the fourth oracle we see in chapter 24, verse 16, listen closely to this fourth oracle of Balaam with Balak as Israel enters the promised land. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. The oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered, I see, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Listen to this. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. You see, Balaam is alluding to the king who will come and bring victory. Notably David. But the inference piques interest in the coming Messiah. Here in the Old Testament book of Numbers, we see the pagan Balaam summoned from the east to curse Israel. This man from the east proceeds to prophesy about a star and a coming king. Then we read in Matthew chapter 2 that pagan magi from the east are drawn toward the king by a star. Could the magi have read the prophecy of Balaam? Were they from the same region that Balaam lived? The implications of God's word are incredible. The coming king or Messiah is the one we read about in the book of Isaiah a star, the light shining in the darkness. In Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light. Did you hear that? Nations shall come to your light. And kings shall come. To the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. And your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephith. And those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. And shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Isaiah here is prophesying about the day when nations will come to the light of God's people. While we just read in Matthew chapter 2 that the nations, or the Magi, are drawn to the light over God's Son. Now concerning the star which led the wise men to the baby, we can debate all day over its origin. When did it rise? Where did it come from? Was it a wandering star? Was it a conjoining of planets? Was it a supernova? Or maybe it was a comet. Did it rise when Jesus was born? Or when he was conceived? We don't know these answers. Was it just a supernatural occurrence that led the wise men to Jesus? It's safe for us to say today, regardless of the star's origin, God supernaturally intervened to draw out the wise men. These men knew the stars. They had heard the prophecies. And when the star appeared, they knew it was a sign pointing to the birth of someone significant. So... They followed. And they arrived in Jerusalem. Now why Jerusalem? Jerusalem was known as the city of the great king. Jerusalem was the base of operations for the king of the Jews, Herod. So they went to Jerusalem to find the newborn king. Makes sense, right? How did Herod respond to their request? He didn't take too kindly to it, did he? If we're going to keep reading... We'd find out that he didn't take too kindly, and he sought more information from the scribes and priests. There we see the words of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, that point toward Bethlehem as the birthplace of the king. Now, why Bethlehem? Yeah, but why would they go there? We know that Mary and Joseph were summoned to Bethlehem, right? Because of what? The census. They had to go to Bethlehem because of the census. Now, why did they have to go there? We just assume that, oh, that's just where they had to go. Who is in Joseph's family? David. You know, Bethlehem was a significant city. Bethlehem is the place where Jacob buried Rachel, where Ruth met Boaz, and where King David was born. That's why Joseph had to register there. So the wise men arrived in Bethlehem to worship the king, and then we know the rest of the story. Joseph's warned by an angel in a dream to flee to Egypt. But we're going to get into all that next week. As we look at the big picture context of what's taking place, what do we learn? We learn some key truths about God. Understanding the grand narrative of Scripture will significantly impact the way we look at Jesus' birth. Beginning in the book of Genesis, we learn that creation is good. God created the world, and he saw that it was good. As we continue to read, we discover that rebellion is real. Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, therefore sin entered the world. And then we realize that in order to gain a restored relationship with God, redemption is required. Therefore, the creator had to intervene something had to be done for the opportunity to be made available to us so we come upon the birth narrative we see the pieces come together not just old testament prophecy but a renewal of the created order we are clued into god's love and intricate plan as we are guided through the scriptures and we learn a few significant things number one we learn from this narrative and the way that it fits within the whole of Scripture, that God's timing is perfect. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I question God's timing. You ever there? You ever at a point in your life where you're in a time of desperate need and you need an answer yesterday? Not now. I needed the answer yesterday. But if we read Scripture closely, and we put the pieces together, we find that God's timing is always perfect. Jesus came at the right time. And all the pieces fit in place just right. Number two, we learn that God's word can be trusted. A lot of people question the word of God that we read and study. But the more we read and the more we study and the more we learn about God's word, we learn that this book, can be trusted as true and is worthy and is right. When we read the birth narrative and God's plan of redemption for all of creation, Genesis to Revelation, we find out that this book is good and we should hold it closely to us. Number three, we learn that God's gift of his son is a worthy gift. As we read about the life of Jesus, We read about the sacrifice, the price that was paid. We can even connect the dots between his birth and his death and find some incredible truths of God hidden within. And we know that his gift is a worthy gift, is the only gift made available to us that can reunite us with the Creator. This gift would not only impact the Jewish people, but also all nations and all peoples and all tongues. Notice the movement taking place in the narrative. When the light was revealed, those who were looking for it were impacted as they followed. They followed and they responded. So let me ask you a question today. Are you seeking after the light? You see, the Jewish nation was looking for the Messiah, and they had all the signs sitting in front of them. But they missed the light in the sky. Now we're not waiting on a star to rise. But let me ask you a question. Are you seeking after the light in your life? Are you following the good book? Trusting in what God says? And when God calls out to you and you see that supernatural intervention in your life, when God speaks in and He moves, are you going to respond? Think about this. I know we all have struggles, don't we? Can God answer your questions? Can God meet your needs? Can God heal your hurts? Can God renew your spirit? You know, if he can carry out a plan as complex that we read in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that plan of redeeming all of mankind back to him from the sin that we chose to live in, I think he can handle your struggles too. He took care of salvation pretty well, didn't he? Trust in Him for your problems. Trust in Him to heal your hurts. Solve your struggles. Renew your spirit today. Guys, there are so many people around us who are hurting during this time. And the answer is right here. The question is, do you trust in it? And will you share it? It took secular individuals, Balaam, these secular wise men who traveled such long distances, even shepherds, to proclaim the good news of Jesus' birth. Guys, don't fit into the Jewish people. Now's the perfect time to proclaim the salvation found in Jesus Christ through his birth. Don't sit there with your hands under your legs. Let's stand up and shout it from the mountaintops. Our friends who are hurting and struggling during this time, let's share the trustworthy word with them. The good news of salvation to all peoples. The opportunity for redemption in life. We have it. Let's share it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us. To follow you. And so often we allow the struggles of the world. The issues in our day-to-day lives kind of choke out the big picture. And we lose sight on the light that you provide for us. And so, Father, today, I pray that you would just give us a chance to draw close to you and lean into your goodness and your mercy. And as we celebrate Christmas this week, that we would share the good news with the world around us, the hope that we have in your Son, Jesus. Father, let's proclaim it from the mountaintops that Jesus Christ is Lord. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.